everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of the MGG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. Hey, Chris. What's up? Well, not... You know, I always say not much, but today we've actually got kind of a lot up, don't we? Uh, we sure do. We've got some exciting announcements and some exciting stuff to talk about from this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been working pretty hard at setting up some of the, like, ancillary to the podcast stuff. This has been... Like, like before we go into exactly what it is, I, I just... Like, this has been kind of a cool ride. Like, I, I remember just sitting across from you at an SCG tournament saying, you know, I kind of... I think it was the Invitational. It was the Invitational, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was I was just mentioning that, like, it'd be kind of cool to do a podcast and, and that, you know, I was kind of looking for people who might want to do it. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, man, I hope, I really hope Collins wants to do a podcast. Um, nice. And, and you kind of yeah. just jumped on it. You were just like, yeah, I'd be down. I don't know. Like, like doing this has kind of exceeded all, all of my expectations. Like it's been more fun than I thought it would be. It's been easier to get going and, and arrange our schedules. And there's just been more to talk about than I even thought there would be, even though I can talk about <laughs> magic for all day. I can talk about magic for days. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about that part. But, <laughs> but yeah, one of the really cool things is that over time, like you see your your listenership growing and stuff, and over time you get you know a message here, a message there, saying, "Hey, when are you gonna start a Patreon?" So you know that's kind of the big announcement for today is that you know we got that set up, we've we've got our Patreon all ready to go. So if you want to, you know. Give us a buck or two. Just have some way to show your support. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Um, we got some rewards set up. You can browse through all of those there, including like a Discord, so we can start trying to build a community and having some strategy discussion, give you guys some, you know, we get to talk to you on this podcast, but I'm really excited to be able to like get questions and, and conversation back. And that's that's like one of the reasons I'm most excited for this right now. Yeah, definitely excited to hear from everybody who's been listening. You know, it's been really awesome to, like, go to events and have people come up to me and be like, hey, I, I, I love your podcast. It's uh, it's really fun, I'm, and that's always great. But, you know, being able to listen, like, have, have some sort of ability to hear from all those people, you know, just through Discord or kind of, like, wherever, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. And the other thing we've got is we've actually got a website that we are launching now. If you just want to go to mtggrindcast.com, we've got just a website with some information on how to contact us. All the episodes are going to be listed there. Uh, just an easy place to find all of our stuff in one yeah. spot. Yeah, before now, we haven't really had like a hub of here's all the stuff. Here's all of, you know, Chris's YouTube videos and the podcast episodes. It's kind of been a little scattered, but now it'll it'll be really easy to find on on the this website, which is going to be really great. Yeah. So you know we've been putting in some some pretty reasonable work into this stuff. We're pretty proud to to have it going. And you know if you like the podcast, if you feel like you've gotten stuff out of it, definitely your support on Patreon would mean a ton to us. But at the same time, I know you know not everybody is in a position to support financially and. You know, the fact that you're sharing a podcast with other people would be awesome. And even just listening, like, is great, is fantastic. So we we absolutely 
appreciate the hell out of all of our listeners. Definitely. But yeah, excited about these uh, these new things going forward. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It's exciting times, exciting times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then uh, for those who are interested in my coaching, the website is going to have a, a coaching page, essentially, where you can just see more information about all of that and get a link to where you can reserve that stuff. So it'll be a good kind of like spot for how you can find me for, for coaching through our website. Yeah, it'll just be up uh, on the navigation tab at the top right. If that's if that's the main reason you're heading to the site, then it should be pretty easy to find. Yeah. Cool. Well, I uh, I guess we should talk about magic then. <laughs> but yeah, you know, back to our, our you know regularly scheduled magic content. Um, this weekend was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. I didn't end up going to a big tournament, but I did end up watching the Magic Online World Championships. And that had some pretty pretty fun storylines, honestly. Yeah, it was it was just a really fun tournament to watch. These small tournaments are are kind of cool. Yes, yeah, the, those really small tournaments that are packed with really really good players, like Worlds and I think Mocks are like the the two big ones, mm-hmm. are always pretty exciting to see because every match you're watching players who are familiar and you're excited to see. You know, in this one in particular, I think that. Budakov was kind of like the storyline of the event. You know, not only did he, spoilers, uh, win the event, but, uh, you know, there were a lot of fun moments with him, just kind of like in interviews and stuff like that, and I think he made a lot of fans. Yeah, he he did it in style, that's for sure. Funny story, so about Budakov, as somebody who also plays on Magic Online pretty regularly, I've definitely faced him quite a bit. And there was a time period in Modern where Budakov was playing... Abzan, just Abzan midrange, pretty pretty religiously, and uh, my roommate Jeremy and I started to joke about how you know we, we started to play against Abzan Budakov all the time, and and that kind of like got us excited about the Abzan deck, and it was like good for a little bit, I think, in that time period in, in modern, and this was like you know several months ago, so modern's changed quite a bit since then, yeah, just but, a little, um, but we we kind of nicknamed it you know Budakov Abzan. And played with that a little bit and had kind of like created fans of, of, of Budokov on their own a little <laughs> bit. So, I, you know, I want to call like pre, pre-bandwagon pre Budokov fan, but <laughs> yeah, I know that's going to be a difficult thing to do. No, that's fine. You can you can totally be a hipster Budokov fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I do. So, yeah, definitely um, congratulations to, to him for taking down the event. Um, and he seems like an awesome dude. So that's just, you know, it's always, you know, we, we talk a lot about the game itself, but the personalities that are in the game are definitely, you know, something that uh, I enjoy a lot. I, I think it's fun to talk about stuff like that. Yeah, and I think, and they made kind of a big deal about this on coverage, but I, I think it definitely merits some consideration, you know, from us as well. Um, when he was talking about deck selection and he was saying, yeah, I don't want to play Jun Mirrors against these guys. I want to put a ley line in play and, and, you know, ride my uninteractive stuff to victory because I, I'm just not interested in playing real magic with all of these guys here. That was a really, like, humble and honest answer for his choice of deck, and I I respect that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that coming from a guy who has won the mocks before. <laughs> right, right. You know, pretty cool to see that kind of humility from somebody who's, who's actually taken this event down before. And, and I mean, we saw in this event, you know, seven of the 23 players, like almost a third of the field was on Jund. And at, at least a certain amount of that, 
you know, Jund is a, a very good deck now, and certainly not a bad choice, but far more than the normal population of Jund players had picked it up for this tournament. And I think a certain amount of that is that these are all really good players, and they are real, trusting in their, their play skill to help get them there with these decks that have small edges. But at some point, like, you know, only half of the players in this field are in the top 50% of this field, even though they're all Platinum Pro level. Like, at some point, right. that logic breaks down a little bit and you've got to realize like exactly where you are in this field and aside from just the the reasoning that he gave about you know i don't want to outplay these i don't want to have to outplay these players you know you got to give credit where because boggles was just an excellent metagame choice for this event yep with the metagame full of jund Bloodbraid, and jace decks that are all trying to play this very very interactive controlly game trading resources everywhere being able to just like you know shut Pretty much all of that down with with hexproof creatures and, and ley lines proved to, to be just kind of an excellent metagame choice. So if anything, I think that uh, Budikov was definitely one of the the wisest players going into the event and knowing that he could he could metagame this event so well. Yeah, for sure. And and I mean, like he he drew the cards he needed to draw when he needed to draw them, and he had a lot of ley lines in play on turn zero. But he put himself in the spot for those things to happen rather than, you know, hoping his blood braid is better than than the blood braid on the other side. Like, that, he just positioned himself really well, and the, the one he played against Grixis Control in the in the top four, it just, you know, made Grixis Control yeah. look like a very silly, silly deck to choose <laughs> for modern. Yeah, exactly, for sure. And even, you know, in the finals, like, he lost the first match, but... The second two matches just didn't seem close at all. He just kind of was doing his things. He drew the ley lines and was able to shut out uh, Steve Rubin pretty convincingly. You know, these Jun decks can actually be built to... Like, like Jun doesn't automatically have a terrible Boggles matchup. Like, the ley line makes a big difference, but depending on how your Jun deck is built, and especially if, you know, like Steve Rubin's deck was wisely built for the mirror, um, and he had... I think only one Maelstrom Pulse and no Abrupt Decays in his in his 75. And that's going to really, really make it difficult to battle a Boggles deck because he was much more ready for the Mirror than for this kind of little kid Daybreak Coronet deck. Credit to Steve Rubin, like he's an excellent player and he would have been a, a fantastic champion as well. But yeah, the, the day belonged to, uh, to, the, to the Slippery Boggles this time. Yeah, I mean, you make some really good points. Uh, like, notably, Steve Rubin had zero Erupt Decays in his deck. Yeah. Which is, like, one of the pretty key elements of, uh, you know, competing with the Boggles deck. The other thing that's notable is that Jund is probably the most customizable, one of the most customizable decks in right, Rome, right? Right, That's why it just kind of, like, always exists to a certain extent. Is because no matter the metagame, you can always customize it a little bit to what you expect to face. So kind of like moving forward in modern i think that wild boggles was such an excellent choice for specifically that one small pretty narrow field i think that uh moving forward boggles is definitely going to lose a lot of equity and i you know despite its success recently while it will always be a modern deck i don't think that it's going to be kind of like you know such an excellent choice moving forward just because i i'm fairly confident that the Jun decks are going to be able to adapt in in ways that you're talking about, like bringing in the cards that they need to to combat a, a wider field. Yeah, I know. Uh, I saw. I think in Harry Lax's article from a day or two ago that he was suggesting Golgari Charm 
for that matchup, which is a, a hell of a sideboard card. So yeah, dude, that's that's a good one. Yeah, like um, kills yeah. kills their ley lines, kills their guys if they don't have enchantments. It, it just kind of does everything. But that's not to say that that is correct. That's to say in red, green, black, you have sideboard options for almost any situation and it right, oh, right. and main deck configurations for whatever metagame you're predicting. So yeah, I, I think that's completely right. You know, Boggles won GP Toronto and then it won the Mox. Like it is a real deck, but just like any other deck in modern, it has some, it has its horrendous matchups. And, you know, depending on how Tron is built, like that's just... Ugin is not a beatable card for Boggles, and they don't have the disruption to stop Ugin from coming into play, and they don't really have the clock to uh, to outrace that sort of stuff. So there's plenty of tier one decks in Modern that just make Boggles look very silly. It's just this weekend was the weekend for Boggles to make other decks look silly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, you know, talking about just Jund in general, Jund Bloodbird Elf has been tearing up Modern. Yeah, this is not the unbanned card that that people maybe, including me, a little bit uh, were, <laughs> oh, were freaking out about. <laughs> everybody, to a certain extent, um, the the general the general consensus that I felt like I was hearing was Jace, right? And <laughs> oh yeah, I guess Bloodbase is the thing too, you know. But but Jace though, it's uh, it's out there and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be crushing modern. But, um, but Bloodbraid, though. But <laughs> but Bloodbraid, though, is... Uh, yeah, Bloodbraid, I think, has kind of proven to be kind of the more dominant force, at least so far, in, in Modern. And I think I think part of that is because... It, it seems so silly to break it down to this, like, very simple dynamic, but in Bloodbraid versus Jace, Bloodbraid is typically coming out on top in that trade, right? For sure. Because now all of a sudden Jace like has to uptake if he wants to live, and then if it if they like they, if there's any sort of Colgan's command or bolt involved, then Blood Raid is just going to be able to take out Jace immediately. And it seems silly to break down like which one of these is better in the overall format to that one interaction. But I think a big part of it was that because for the first couple of weeks when these cards were legal, that everybody was jamming either Blood Raid Elf or Jace. I can kind of see why when those are like the biggest two options, the Bloodbraid Elf decks would be able to, you know, kind of hedge out the Jace decks a little bit. For sure. I mean, I mean, in a very real way, Bloodbraid Elf preys on Jace, and th- there's not a lot the Jace decks can do about it. Do you wait until you have like seven mana to play your Jace? Like that's, that's not great. Right. Seems pretty rough. Especially when your opponent's like playing things like Bloodbraid Elf on turn four, and you have to like, you know, answer two spells for one in one turn. And all that stuff, um, and just the value that blood the the Jund decks are able to pump out. I've I've played a little bit with some some blue control decks with Jace on Magic Online, and the Jund matchup does not feel good. You know, between all the hand disruption and the Planeswalkers, things can get out of control pretty quickly. I think that that just kind of speaks to why we've been seeing the Jund decks come out on top, and the uh, the Jace decks just not not quite getting it done. Yeah, and I think. Probably this this merits a little bit of taking apart like what exactly Bloodbraid does for the deck, sort of from a sort of theory standpoint, but very applied to this one deck. I think like my initial thought process about Bloodbraid in in these mid range modern decks, like I 
I was very aware of how good Bloodbraid was in the past, but like Bloodbraid was at its most broken in standard, where you could just play only Putrid Leech for two mana spells, basically, and like all of your spells cost three mana, and every hit with Bloodbraid was just completely insane and getting you a ton of mana worth of value. Um, and then in Modern, it was very good, but since its time in Modern, like the decks have gotten so streamlined. Modern is a one-mana spell format, and I kind of thought that some combination of hitting one-mana discard spells in, on turn four and five and hitting removal spells against decks that removal spells aren't good against would be enough to keep Bloodbraid from being all that. Uh, but I, I think that what actually is happening right now is, I mean, number one, hitting a a thought seize in the mid game is kind of better than it, it, it's not great but the floor isn't quite as low as i thought it would be and the the post sideboard blood braids are just so good that it makes up for the sometimes not great cascades in the early game and just this is a way for jund as an attrition deck to capitalize by simultaneously getting card advantage, tempo advantage, and directly pressuring your opponent's life total in a way that it, it really hasn't had access to before. Playing against these Jun decks, like, you're just in danger of dying at, at most times. Like, maybe not of going to zero, but in danger of just, like, your life total taking a huge hit and there's no way for you to come back from it. And and decks like Abzan just don't have a way to make that immediate board presence. And and Blood Raid is really adding a dimension to the deck that was was hard to see until you, it actually plays out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, as as somebody who kind of like started to play Magic, I think after Blood Raid got banned in Modern, mm-hmm. um, you know, the only thing that I could really know about Bloodbraid Elf is just like the stories that people told me about, you know, oh, Bloodbraid Elf is really good, you know, people cascade into Blightning all the time and it's just busted and it's busted. That's like the thing that they would keep on talking about. And you're always just like, okay, yeah, but like, you know, how consistent is it or whatever? But, you know, seeing it play out, you know, just kind of all of the spells in, in Jund are super powerful. So it seems like, it, se- it seems like, you know, it's, it's kind of living up to the hype a little bit. Yeah. And I can tell. You know, one thing that we also saw was a lot of the matches that we watched in the mocks were mirror matches, where Bloodbraid is just insane. Not only because it's an attrition matchup where that kind of card is very good, but also because there was often a Liliana in play on one side, and Bloodbraid would just be the best card ever to get the Liliana out of play. Yeah. So, you know, the effect of Bloodbraid on Planeswalkers in general going forward is definitely one that you're going to want to think about when it comes time for deck construction. And it's just it's just one of those cards that warps the mirrors in in a pretty extreme way even when they're not drawn. Mm-hmm. Like it affects how you sideboard, you know, you now all of a sudden you're kind of forced to leave in some number of thought seizes because you just like, you know, being able to trade a thought seize for bloodbait in your opponent's hand is is pretty critical yeah. all of a sudden. But in general you don't want thought seizes in your deck. Also a lot of people are talking about how, you know, because you can, you know, if your life total gets too low, you can just die out of nowhere. People are talking about, like, boarding out some number of Dark Confidants on the draw in the mirror, which is just, like, crazy town if you, <laughs> uh, you know, because the level zero thinking is that, you know, you really need to value out your opponent. Now, all of a sudden, there's this new pretty game plan warping card that exists. 
and you know people are having to adapt to that pretty pretty strongly yeah and there's definitely some really weird deck building tensions that come out as a result of that you know like most of the decks were running a lot more lightning bolts than they were running fatal pushes um because that's just right a you know a better hit with blood braid even if the board is clear then that means you're just hitting them for six with your blood braid this turn which is like pretty close to killing somebody in modern um, <laughs> yeah so so it it is better to cascade into but yeah and bolts just better against jace in general which is right. a, a pretty big thing right really really good point but then in the mirror that means that like goif is such a monster because all of these fatal pushes have been cut for lightning bolts and so that's yeah, yeah. you know you got to find the right numbers for what you think your meta is going to be and that that can be a little tough and that does i think that tends to make bob a little bit worse uh in the mirror because if you've got these lightning bolts your one mana spell can't kill goifs it often can be tough to kill a scavenging ooze with it but a, a bob is always a good target for a lightning bolt so that definitely lowers the value of, of bob at least a little bit yeah just because it's it's super fragile, it dies to like a Liliana, the Last Hope plus, yeah, plus the Lightning Bolt. You know, all these things are pretty disastrous in, in the mirror. So, right, yeah, and I mean that like it the taking them out on the draw makes a lot of sense, or taking at least one out on the draw makes a lot of sense because you know you're the one that's under pressure, so taking extra damage might be bad. But also like every single play they have on three mana after you cast a Bob is just really brutal. Whether it's Last Hope ticking up, or Liliana the Veil ticking down, or Coligan's Command killing it and, and making you discard a card. I mean, that one's probably a, not at the greatest use of Coligan's Command, but it's still, like, not good for you, so... Right, right. You know, and then kind of on the other end of the spectrum, we've got Jace, and people are still trying to figure out what the best Jace decks are, uh, whether or not it's, like, you know... It's clearly very powerful, but, you know, people are still struggling to have a lot of success with it. Yep. I think a part of that probably has to do with the fact that everybody kind of shoehorned Jace into their Jeskai control decks because moving into the unbans, Jeskai control was the like easily the best control deck that anybody was playing in modern. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like had all the tools that you wanted for that format. But you know now I think things have changed to a point where you know maybe Jeskai isn't the best shell. Like, if we look at the results from the previous weekend, none of the Jeskai control decks did well, but we did have two Grixis control decks with Jace do pretty well. So maybe, you know, this show with the black cards, such as, like, Thoughtseize and Liliana Vale, are kind of, like, more what you're looking for with Jace. Just because Jace is the it's at its best when you are kind of, like, landing it as that last threat. You know, yeah. everybody's traded a bunch of resources, and then you slam a Jason, you you just easily take over the game. And the these these black cards like Liliana the Veil and Thought Seize and all these other stuff kind of like goes really well with that game plan of I want to be actively like proactively trading resources, you know, so that we don't have a lot of you know resources going into the late game. And now all of a sudden, Jace is just this thing that's easily going to mop up, you know, whatever's left after the dust is settled. So that, that might be just, like, you know, where we want to be with Jace decks in Modern and kind of moving away from from what a lot of people, I think, have defaulted to with the these uh, Jeskai decks. Just because Jeskai, you know, Jeskai's been the, the color combinations that's kind of been on everybody's mind when it comes to control. You know, we've got Ben Nikolic and Jonathan Rossum tearing up all these tournaments with Jeskai decks. 
and uh, and that's you know that's a very real thing and and you know has a pretty big impact on on people's mindsets when it comes to the decks that they want to play and, and what they believe to be the best you know shells. But um, I think that you know modern's so vast that people are gonna kind of find better shells for for these decks, decks to exist in. It'll be interesting to see if that becomes true. We'll see. Like, look how long it took the hive mind to put Grixis Death Shadow together. We we haven't figured out Jace yet, and I don't think that means that we're not going to figure out Jace. I, like that that's to me that's a, a silly idea. Like the card is very very powerful, and yeah, I, I think one thing that you said is is probably key here. And if I were to be if my goal were to put together a 75 that features Jace prominently right now, um, it is not. That's not what I'm uh, directing my energies <laughs> towards. But I, if that, I might have an idea, an idea what you're directing your energies <laughs> towards, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if, that's what I were, if that's what I was aiming for right now, then I think you know some words you used in particular are very important. Um, you want it to be your last threat. And I think... You know, slotting it into a control deck, like going removal spell, removal spell, Jace, is not great. Because you're hoping that your removal spell... I mean, if that works out, if they play a guy, you kill it. They play a guy, you kill it. You play a Jace, bounce a guy. Then then obviously fantastic. But that's not really how modern plays out. And you, you are asking your deck to line up your removal spells perfectly so that you have a window for this Jace. And that's a little tougher than having Jace be the last in like a line of threats and i think the more proactive you are leading up to a jace that makes jace seem a lot better to me you know like these these sultai builds that go like thought seize into goif and then like follow up with a jace at the end like jace with a goif in play or jace with a liliana in play is a very different animal than a jace that you're hoping to put onto an empty board relying on the reactive spells in your hand so as far as like fair decks go, that would be the route that I that I see the most promise in for Jace right now. Um, I also think as part of a combo deck of some sort, that's an avenue where he's got a lot of potential. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with all that. Just because Jace is a card that is a threat. Like, he can win the game on his own. You know, mm-hmm. he's not just a card advantage engine. Um, you know, as if, 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 the, if the board state is at a point where nobody's threatening Jace and he gets to just kind of do his own thing... You know him. Him plussing on your your opponent to fate seal them every turn is is a very fast clock. It feels like. Yeah. I you know identifying that sometimes you need to be proactive. Proactivity has always ruled modern. That's just kind of been the phrase that people throwing around, and I think that that's still true. But you know now you know now we're trying to explore a little bit with these control decks, and maybe we just need to take a more proactive approach on 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 that. I, I think that may be the way to go because. A deck with Jace is very different from a deck that was planning on winning through, like, Celestial Colonnade eventually. Like, you've got a very different tool here, and it looks like, because of the power level of Modern, like, the deck's going to require more adaptations to make the best use of that tool. Right, right. Yeah. The, I'm sure the tools are out there, and um, Modern is by no means ever solved, I don't think. So, yeah, um, yeah we'll see what happens. Right, and, and to, to um, back up a little bit, you know, the, the way that we were talking about the mox and stuff makes it sound like it's all it's all bloodbraid decks and modern right now but if we look at other tournament results like yeah the field remains modern it remains wide open like in the the modern classic in worcester 
there were no Jun decks in the top 16. And, you know, other notables there, the top 16 of that classic was 16 unique archetypes, which is insane. Jeez. Um, you know, talk about talk about wide open field. And that was kind of like the on the, on the opposite end of... The, the Mox was exactly what we mean when we mean like, you know, really, really small, narrow field. It was 23 players. Everybody kind of had a pretty good idea of what other people's tendencies were, so they were able to metagame really hard. So when you're looking at that as kind of like an indication for what you're expecting to see in the metagame, definitely take it with a grain of salt. That's yep. not really a good indication of what modern's going to look like moving forward. Yep. Um, it is a good indication of what people, what the those best players, you know, kind of believe to be very powerful archetypes. So, you know, Jund is definitely getting a ringing endorsement moving into the the you know the future of modern but yeah. it in you know in no way is it going to be like all right modern's just 30 percent jund decks from here on out that's just not going to be a thing this clearly means that that jund is a deck that's worth respecting because so many of these players put together this deck with Bloodbraid elf and they were like this is good enough for this extremely important 23 man tournament like the right. deck is is real and has game and and don't sleep on it like if you're going to play a black green deck it's probably this one right now but yeah, so, but, you know, on the other end of that spectrum, you know, we, we had the the largest classic ever, uh, the modern classic in, in Worcester with, like, 400 players or something. Oh, um, wow. And, yeah, uh, as as diverse as it could have been in the, in the top 16 of that tournament. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's, <laughs> this isn't the end of modern or anything. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're not we're not going to be... I, I'm pretty sure we're not going to be, you know, going back into some Jund era. Modern's still going to be modern. We're still going to have a bunch of different decks. We've got some sweet, sweet decks that I, I, I want to talk about a little bit. The the Eldrazi deck that ended up winning this classic is is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, no joke. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know if we want to transition into, into talking about that now, but... Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's fine. I, I really like that one. Yeah, so I mean, how are we attacking this format now? What would you... Is this a deck that you would want to play, like if you had a modern tournament this weekend? The Eldrazi deck? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The Yeah, so we've always kind of known that this deck has existed. Yeah. And But it just, like, not enough players were playing it, I don't think, to for it to ever really make a, a big impact. So just for, uh, for those... For those of us who don't know what is in this deck, what is this deck? Yeah, why don't we go ahead and go over the deck? So essentially, yeah. So so Jordan, oh no, I, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Jordan Boisvert. Boisvert. Yeah, that's that's a shame. So, anyways, Jordan. Congrats to Jordan. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we can't pronounce your last name. We're uh, we're silly Americans. <laughs> we don't know how to pronounce things. Uh, <laughs> he won. He just you know took down this classic with essentially a deck that's very reminiscent of. The Eldrazi Winter Colorless Eldrazi Menace with yeah. uh, Eye of Ugin. Yeah. So essentially, the concept behind that deck was, you know, it's it's playing essentially a bunch of soul lands uh, with between Eldrazi Temple and just like fast mana with Simeon Spirit Guide and everything, and he's playing really cheap, really efficient Eldrazi threats. So you know, just the classics of Thought Not Seer into Reality Smasher. If you can like turn two with Thought Not Seer and then follow it up with a Reality Smasher. Often that's just game over, you know? So the, the concept of the deck is to mulligan aggressively into those busted draws. Uh, it uses Serum Powder to enable that. Serum Powder is this really strange card. If it's in your opening hand when you're mulliganing, you can choose to exile 
your hand and then draw that many cards instead of mulliganing. So it's essentially becomes a new like a free mulligan if it's if it's in your opener. You can just exile your hand and and draw a fresh seven or a fresh six if it's in your six. Kind of like you know however many cards you have, you can get that many. Yeah. And essentially, what that does is it lets you aggressively look for the busted draws that involve Eldrazi and Temple and Thought Not Seer and these like really fast threats. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. The one thing that I feel like I've preached a lot about Modern is that the most important decision to be made in Modern, I think, is the Merlin decisions. I talked a lot about this when I was having a lot of success with humans, uh, where you just really, in Modern, need to be mulliganing into a powerful draw. Just because the decks in Modern have so much potential to have a powerful draw. If you just keep like a medium 7 and your opponent has mulliganed to a powerful 6, you're going to lose that game. Yep. So you want to be putting yourself in the position where you're, you've got that powerful draw. And and because I love that concept so much, I love this deck so much, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, it's it's just really utilizing that. Right. This is a mulligan deck, so definitely, <laughs> definitely a yeah. fan of that idea. He won this classic, and I'd kind of known about this deck before, but hadn't really given it a shot before I saw this result. Um, and I immediately queued it up on Moto and just immediately fell in love with Serum Powder <laughs> and just like. <laughs> the the busted draws that it enabled with with you know the the potential out of this deck it it seems very very good and i've had a lot of success with it so far on magic online so i think that you know it's definitely a front runner for me moving forward in modern i think just cuz it's you know it's a very powerful proactive deck you you have a very fast clock you have the disruption that you're looking for with like chalice of the voids in the main deck mm-hmm. and the the grinding potential is definitely there. Eternal Scourge is kind of like one of the weirder cards in this deck, but the combination of Serum Powder and Eternal Scourge is hilarious. Uh, the combination of Gemstone Caverns and Eternal <laughs> Scourge is hilarious. For, the, for, for those unaware, Gemstone Caverns is... If, if, if you're... There's so many strange cards in this deck. I, I know. know. The Gemstone Cavern says, if you're on the draw and you keep your hand with Gemstone Caverns in it, you have the option to... Exile a card in your hand to start the game with Gemstone Caverns in play. Yeah. So it um, kind of puts you on the play. So it kind of steals the play a little bit. We've yeah. seen it before out of, like, I think Todd Stevens' Sun and Moon deck was playing it a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it out of some other interesting decks. But it just combos really, really well with Chalice of the Void, where... Now, like, even if you're on the draw, you can lead with the turn one. You just have another out to a turn one Chalice of the Void, which can be pretty backbreaking in a lot of matchups. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, it just kind of, like, sets up another type of busted draw with this with this Eldrazi deck. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, like, this is mostly a Chalice of the Void deck, and this deck is going to have the most turn one or turn two Chalices of pretty much any deck you could possibly play in this format. Um, right. Yeah, so, I mean, you're running the full set of Seeming Spirit Guides. You've got three Gemstone Caverns. And four Serum Powders. You've got the Serum Powders to, to dig into that. Yep. Um, if, if anybody's interested in picking this deck up, I definitely recommend being very aggressive with your mulligan decisions and, and being, you know, uh, having a, 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 a narrower range of keepable hands, I guess. Because you can still, like, go to five with this deck and... You know, and have a powerful draw. And if you if you're looking at a, a medium seven that doesn't have serum powder, the fact that serum powder is in your deck makes mulliganing to six 
better because you're less likely to have like a bricked six. Yeah. You know, there's a chance that you have like a bad six with a serum powder and then you just get another six and you can keep on going. So it definitely adds a, a pretty interesting element to this deck. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And those mulliganing decisions, I, I think, like, I, I have actually played a Serum Powder deck in the past. It was a long time in the past. It was a standard deck. Like, the mulliganing not, decisions... Not legacy ley lines? Yeah, it was not a good standard deck either. But, <laughs> like, mulliganing decisions with Serum Powder in your deck are pretty difficult, and it definitely rewards deck knowledge and, and practice. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, this deck, honestly, is probably a harder deck to mulligan with than most because of the presence of serum powder i probably you can just default to like if my hand isn't doing anything broken let's try again so that may be a little easier but yeah definitely you know give this one some trial runs before really really locking it in yeah definitely and you know that that is a pretty decent default and kind of the one that i started with Mm -hmm. when playing this deck but you know being able to make the tough decisions between like Say I have a serum powder, but my deck is like my hand is like good. You know I need to keep those. Whereas you can't kind of like default to just like always serum powdering or whatever. Right. Um, right. And then also like the hands that don't really do much but have an early chalice of the void in the dark are kind of tough. But in general, I've just been keeping all of those mm-hmm. um, because just there's so many decks in modern that a, you know a turn two or turn one chalice can really put their bring the hammer down on. Yeah. There, there are a lot of Coligan's commands running around, though, and that's definitely one thing to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, and uh, I have been boarding out a good number of Chalice of the Voids against Jund specifically, mm-hmm. just because they run Abrupt Ks and Coligan's commands, and that's just kind of not the angle that I want to be fighting them on. They're, they're not going to get locked out by by a, a, some, an effect like that, so. Right, right. And, like, they, they're fine waiting a couple of turns to cast their Thoughtseize, and... I think the game plan that you want to play with them is just like make your monsters as big as possible. Like use probably use relic of progenitus to keep their goifs and scavenging uses from getting out of control. And yeah, relic is definitely something worth talking about. Like it, it's a four of in the sideboard, but it comes in. You know, we bring in all four copies of that a pretty good amount of the time in pretty much any grindy matchup. Like even if the graveyard is kind of like whatever. In the grindy matchups, being able to just, like, have an Eternal Scourge and then always have access to that Eternal Scourge is really powerful. Right, um, right. You don't like even the, need to exile your Relic. You can just keep using Relic on yourself. Yeah, you just target yourself, exile your Scourge. Absolutely. And, right, so, and that's kind of, you know, the matchup against these, like, the blue-white decks that, like, don't really end the game very quickly, and also the... Like the Jeskai control decks that are like super hard control that don't have any like major win cons. Mm-hmm. Those matchups just feel really silly because I just like have three eternal surges every time, you know? And I'm just like, all right, uh, relic myself. All right, and you like, you like path one. I'm like, all right, trigger, exile it, cast it again. And they, they even like just bolts, you know, it has the trigger to exile itself. Yeah. Um, just like always having access to that. And then like they, they'll like wrath like two copies of the eternal scourges away. And I'm like, all right, target myself with relic, get it back. Um, yeah that matchup just seems really silly so that's been pretty fun yeah that's really sweet yeah i guess i've i gotta give this deck a try this does look great so yeah that's that's kind of me ranting and raving about this deck i I, i've been having a lot of fun with it lately so (laughs) that's good Um, yeah yeah. i i have not gotten to play very much modern lately i have been pretty focused on standard right now because i am playing as the the standard portion of a team 
for GP Madrid. You know, not a lot of what I know and believe about Standard right now has changed since we talked about it last time. Um, not to not to abruptly transition. If you have more stuff to say about modern, um, we should we should make sure to to hit on that. But no, I, I think I, I think I covered most of it. Okay, cool, cool. But yeah, I the more standard I've played, basically the more it's kind of felt to me like modern a little bit. In that I I, I despise these mid range decks that everyone is playing right now. Just playing creatures and removal spells in the same deck feels so miserable to me. Uh, Owen, in his like first article for Star City, posted uh, his version of the Grixis Energy deck. And I thought, well, this is Owen's deck, so I'll give it a shot. Just like every single opening seven, you look at it and you go, ugh, I guess. Because like <laughs> some yeah. cards in your hand are good against some decks, other cards in your hand are good against other decks, and you're just, there's no matchup that you're hoping for. And just, like, some of your cards are so bad. Like, any any game, some of your cards are going to be really bad. And that's just such a miserable right. spot for me to be in. But, I mean, people are clearly winning with these decks. You know, they're doing something. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it's mostly that the power level of the cards individually is very high. And sometimes they just line up pretty well. But, you know, like, I'll... I'll I'll play all these games where, like, my opening hand has a Vraska's Contempt and a Scarab God, and then the first card I draw is a Vraska's Contempt, and then my opponent plays a turn to search for Azkanta. And, like, you're just sad for the next 30 minutes. So... <laughs> right. Yeah. And it does take 30 minutes, but... Yeah. <laughs> it does, because, like, you might win, but it's just it's just really miserable. So I, I, can't, I can't play those decks right now. Um... And so I'm still on Sultai Constrictor. Looks like it's been ramping up a little bit in popularity. And I think that people are kind of, you know, hitting on that same idea that that is the reason that I think the deck is good, which is that uh, Bristling Hydra and Blossoming Defenses are just very, very powerful in a Vraska's Contempt heavy format. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a better shell for like these hexproof threats. Uh, this is the best one that I've found so far. Like, you definitely lose some games to your mana. You lose games to just, like, Chandra and Glorybringer being so good against you. But you also just win games based on the power of Hadana's Climb plus a Hexproof guy. Uh, and so the on, on balance, I think, you know, this is where I want to be. Uh, I am close to cutting all of the removal spells from the main deck at this point. Just because, like, I hate drawing Whoa. them. I just, I despise drawing <laughs> okay. them. The only time Vraska's Contempt is good is if I have put my opponent in a position where they have to cast turn five Scarab God. But a lot of the times, if I just had like another pressuring spell in my hand instead of the Vraska's Contempt, like they'd still die after being on the back foot and playing the Scarab God. And it's also good if like, you know, a Glorybringer is coming and you can protect yourself from that. But you know, they might just choose not to cast the Glorybringer into the open mana, and, you know, that that's just a tough situation. So I I kind of just want yeah. to be, like, all threats. Like, I'm, I'm main decking Duress at this point, and it's been great, and because uh, it's just kind of more blossoming defenses. Like, like you have, you have two plans. You have play a Glinsleaf Siphoner and draw a bunch of cards and win that way, or cheese out the game with a Hedonis climb. 
and duress really helps both of those plans succeed. So I, I've really enjoyed having it in my main deck. I think it catches people by surprise and really messes up a lot of keeps. So uh, I'm not saying that I'm going to go up to four, but there's a lot of hands that I have a Vraska's Contempt in that I really wish it was a duress instead. So that's why that's where I am on standard right now. Like I want to be as linear as possible and. If I'm going to play removal spells, like, I want my deck to be all removal spells. I just want to play blue-black control. And if I'm going to play creatures, I want to pretty much play all creatures and ways to make those creatures good. And that does not include Fatal Push to buy me time. Like, that, like I just want to play more creatures. Right. But, you know, I think that it's important to note that your deck is kind of, like, designed to make that game plan work really well. You've right. got a lot of ways of like punching through damage without removing your opponent's creatures, and your dudes are just kind of generally bigger than everybody else's dudes. So you know, even though your that deck doesn't play shouldn't or shouldn't play a lot of removal spells, you know, even like mono red is like all right, you're you're getting ready to brawl and uh, and potentially race and like kill them in in one shot within a Hadana's climb or whatever. Right, exactly. So, like the games, the games that I've won against Mono Red because I've had Fatal Push in my main deck. Like I'd rather put those to the side and just say, "All right, we're playing our guys and bashing into each other's life totals, and I think yeah. I can win this race enough of the and time." And we've got these Fatal Bushes in the sideboard or whatever for yeah. the Mono Red matchup. Yeah, yeah, and I mean we are in a format where because of the threats people are playing, like the Mono Red lists that we see have main deck Magma Sprays over Shocks. Like, that's not a mono-red deck that I want to be playing. Like, if that's... And I that's probably the correct choice. If that's the correct choice, I don't want to be on that deck. You know? <laughs> the the mono-red deck? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I just don't want to be sitting with Magma Sprays in my hand in my Hazoret deck. I, I just... That, that just doesn't yeah. sound good to me. The... Right. That seems pretty bad. <laughs> um... But yeah, I um I don't know I uh, I've been I've been a little less focused on standard, but it, it sounds like you've got a lot of pretty pointed opinions on. I have um, yes, I have, be. I have so thoughts. that's cool. <laughs> I have thoughts yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> I and honestly, I, I like where your head's at. I think that you know taking those kind of approaches to uh, a standard format has definitely a, like super high upside. Like if you're if you're right and like everybody playing piles of removal spells in their mid range decks is just like really bad for them. You can definitely get a pretty huge edge by being able to recognize that you know that's that's the spot that you're that you should be in. Yeah, and I mean, I I certainly hope that I'm right about this. The other way of attacking the meta game that we talked about last time was a sort of go wide strategy, and it looks like yeah. the the one that is appearing as sort of the best version of that are these basically sky marcher aspirant decks and they're not they're certainly not all the same yet like some of them have snubhorn sentry a lot of them have legion lieutenant but they are these very aggressive token decks that try to flood yep. the board like we can see a few in the standard mocks like there's uh the vampires list that went uh seven and one that's like very much like a block constructed sort of deck and even has a couple of vicious conquistadors in there like this deck's just trying to kill you, and it's trying to kill you by going wide and making Vraska's Contempt just not really a card against the deck. And right. I think I think that's a very smart way to go about this strategy. Yeah, uh, I, I that's kind of the archetype that I've been playing a lot with the most recently, mm -hmm. where just, you know, I, I, I was playing essentially Sam Black's mono-white Ascend deck. Yep. Um, 
that's playing Pride of Conquerors, which has just it impressed me a, a lot. Just, awesome. This deck has is probably the fastest deck in Standard right now. You know, Mono Red has kind of turned into this like really resilient, aggressive kind of beatdown strategy. But if you're just trying to kill your opponent really quickly, this Mono White deck, you know, being able to dump a lot of cards on the board and then cast Pride of Conquerors uh, just to end the game seems very, very strong. And, you know, it, it also kind of fits in with the whole concept of it's a Vraska's Contempt format, and you just want to make that card as, as, as poor as possible. So, you know, playing a bunch of tokens and, like, you know, small creatures to kind of get around that seems like one of the ways to attack that. Yeah. Um, but based on the way that you've been talking about everything, it sounds like people are so, ho- like, honed in on making removal spells bad that you just don't want to play any anymore. So we might be kind of coming full circle. Yeah, I think you don't. Like, I would not be on blue-black control this weekend. You know, like, like look at these... That, like, that 7-1 vampires list. Like, there's two removal spells in the deck, and that's two Thopter or main deck. If you look at this 6-2, you know, quote-unquote mono-white deck, it's got Bomat Couriers and Scrap Heap Scroungers. It has no removal spells main deck. It's just maximizing Pride of Conquerors by having all creatures and token makers and, and two Trials of Solidarity in the main deck. You know, these decks just are taking their plan and going as focused as possible on it, which is go wide, make your guys big, get your opponent's life total to zero, and do not care what your opponent is doing because putting the cards in your deck that care about what your opponent is doing, are, it's just such a big cost to a deck like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I played this deck, uh, you know, a bunch last week, and it doesn't play any rule spells in the main deck, and I never missed them. No. There's, there's never really a point where I'm like, oh, man, I just, you know, I really wish I had, like, a, you know, some sort of removal spell right now. I was just like, right, I, okay, now I need to go wider and, uh, <laughs> right. and cast Bride of Conquerors, and, and, you know. For sure. If... If you build your deck such that your opponent is dead because they cast Scarab God or because they cast Glorybringer, then you don't, you don't, you don't need Vraska's Contempt, and that's great. Right, right, yeah, good spot to be for sure. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting how uh, that's kind of like the the way that we're looking at standard right now, which I think is really uh, pretty fascinating. Which is like you know we're looking at all the removal spells and how they're interacting with the decks that people are playing and how the decks that people are playing are interacting with the removal spells that people are playing. Um, and these format warping cards like Scarab God and Hazaret initially were like big boogeymans and the response to that was, okay, we need to play a bunch of Raskus Contempts. And then everybody was playing a bunch of Raskus Contempts and the response to that was, all right, well, let's make removal spells bad by playing a bunch of tokens or just like, you know, not playing any creatures as like the control decks approach. Um, so, and that, you know, it feels like standard is always kind of, you know, rotating. People always talk about how standard adapts very quickly in, in like healthier standard formats. Like I know previously we're just coming out of teamer energy standard, which is, you know, pretty much the opposite of rotating. It's just like, okay, we, we, we did it guys. We, we figured out what's going on, but I'm so excited that standards back into the spot where people are adapting and trying to figure out, you know, angles of attack and how you can, you know, get around that. And it's interesting how previously in standard that kind of rotation was like I'm going to play a mid-range deck to beat this aggro deck and then the next rotation is all right, I'm going to play this like ramp deck to beat this mid-range deck and then, you know, we're back on aggro. But this time it's like instead of that kind of dynamic, it's it's like what people are choosing to put in their decks to be able to to combat that. So it's like this whole new angle of of like how how people are adapting to everything so 
Right. It's uh, a it's a matter it's of like cool. individual cards rather than archetypes going in and out. Like, is right. Vraska's contempt good? Is Scarab God good? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think this might be the first time that I can remember that like uh, token strategies were a very unique way of approaching the format that happened to be very very good at one point in the that rotation. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, and I mean these tokens decks are are very legitimate. Like Call to the Feast is is a surprisingly powerful card when it's putting six power of guys into play. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's no joke. And and like Servo exhibit or not Servo exhibition, um, like Sram's expertise. Like a lot of times, my opponent casts Sram's expertise, and I just like, put my head in my hands because that thing casting <laughs> another relevant spell is just gross. I've definitely cast some Sram's expertise that just put in a servo exhibition, and I'm like, all right, five dudes, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> yep. So that's it's been fun. Yeah, I don't know. Like I kind of like I do kind of want to play a token strategy, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just play the deck with walking ballistas in it and be like okay against the removal decks and pretty decent against the token decks. Because yeah, walking ballista's good, right? The Walking Blister, I think, is probably maybe if these token decks start to become everywhere, Walking Blister is exactly what you want against those. Yeah. Just the combination of Constrictor and Walking Blister can be lights out for a lot of token strategies. Especially when they're running cards like Sky Marcher Aspirant, that you actually just get a full card out of from one of your pings. And even just like. If you know, if you're putting pressure on with like you know your own aggression, hitting a Danto Vanguard with a Blist activation can be can be pretty. Uh, like putting your opponent in a spot where they don't want to be, you know, right? Pay for life to keep their three one around. <laughs> and and one of the really incredibly awkward things is when you keep your Ballista on on defense and they attack with Vanguard, so you get to block, and then their choice is to pay eight life to keep it alive. Yeah, so just, you know, general thoughts on Standard is uh, it's still evolving, and that makes me excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, one interesting thing that I found about this format is uh, I keep bringing Cartouche of Ambition in in more and more matchups. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's in there for the red matchup. But... Sure. A lot of times I've found myself bringing it in because my plan against monsters is to get down a hexproof guy, and if I can give it lifelink, then I can outrace them. Um, or against, like, tokens, or, you know, as long as they are running some actual creatures with one toughness, like a Danto Vanguard, Sky Marcher Aspirant, that sort of thing, if you get one of those with the comes into play and then you gain five life off of your attack, then that's just an incredible card. So I... Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Cartouche of Ambition right now in this format, weirdly enough. Yeah, I mean, Cartouche is one of those cards that I, I have always really enjoyed. It's got a lot of like interesting applications. Um, I think it's good against all the tokens decks. I think it's good against the mono-red decks, as you said. One application that I used to really like about it, but I, I, I don't, I'm not sure this deck exists anymore, is <laughs> uh, it's, it's really good against the Pummeler decks. Being able to like target a pummeler with it is, uh, you know, no, no amount of pumping is going to be able to save that <laughs> right that thing unless you're giving it hexproof, yeah, which is fun. But now that the the cards that make pummeler good, like attune with ether, is gone, I don't really expect to see that card very often. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very difficult to get the energy. The couple of pummeler lists that I've seen have had like woodweavers puzzle knot in them and stuff, and I think that's just <laughs> not like like yeah, not not exactly what you want. 
It's fine yeah. if your Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot is making six energies so you can put an Emrakul into play, but right, right, making sure. enough to pump your Pummeler a couple of times is just not powerful enough to merit. Yeah, you really want to be pumping that like three times to be like super effective, but because you're not always going to have like all of the pump spells in the world, you, you really got to kind of put in the work with that card. Yeah, and just um, without the free energy sources, you just don't really get there anymore, which yeah. is sad. This is a sweet deck. Yeah. Yep. Well, rest in peace, Bumbler. Yeah. Rest in um, peace. I'm just gonna keep playing Bristling Hydras and basically whatever shell I can I can find for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, that card seems definitely very very strong. As you know, as long as people are still playing a bunch of Rask's Contempts, a little less strong, I think maybe against like tokens. So for sure. But the the benefit you get there is that you're playing it in a deck that plays Walking Blista. So you're kind of like, you know, hitting hitting both angles there, which is pretty strong. Right, and you've always got the uh, the chance of drawing Hadana's Climb with it. So, you know, yes, in, yeah. in, in certain matchups, combo. with Teamer, you draw your Bristling Hydra, and then you just realize, like, this Hydra is just never going to lower my opponent's life total in this game. But you've at least got a chance of dealing 20 with it, so... <laughs> right, right, right. Silly. But cool. But cool. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. And any more thoughts on standard or uh I mean I I've covered had, a lot of stuff there. Yeah, I like I, I definitely have serious opinions about standard right now, but that Sounds was like it. That I was most it. of them. <laughs> I love it. Definitely always down for some some uh you know, unique perspectives on things. I just don't really understand how people are winning with these mid range decks. I, I don't know if it's just that so many people are playing them or just yeah. that individual card power level it, is is taking for you, them it could be a couple of things it could be just like the play style of lose a lot of game ones and then you know have like a, a 70 percenter post board is mm-hmm. like not something that you're interested in because i think that the, that that kind of is the biggest concept with those those mid-range decks is that you've got a lot of cards that are really really bad in all of your game ones but in theory you should be able to take all those out for good cards in those particular matchups post board right to to be able to really lock those in post board but yeah, game ones can definitely feel really miserable when you're drawing a bunch of fatal pushes and Braska's contempts against the, you know, approach decks or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, and I wonder about zero that targets. psychologically. Like, I enjoy playing individual games from behind, but I do not enjoy playing matches from behind. Like, Interesting. losing okay. game one is just, it's really not something that I'm interested in i don't know like i like playing game one decks it sounds like you're a, a proactive player so yeah that's definitely one of the things like you'd rather be on the affinity side of like we're gonna get them game one and then you know for sure talk right <laughs> i mean there's a reason that i've played living end more than any other constructed deck like i right i just want to yeah. do things game one that my opponent isn't prepared for and i don't want to have cards in my deck game one that just aren't good in matchups yeah i mean i can see it yep um, but yeah, I think that that's probably a playstyle preference. Probably because I, I think that you know the these these Grixis energy decks are fine. You know they they're playing a lot of powerful cards, but it definitely does suffer from the um, you know there there are going to be a lot of matchups where you've got some bad cards in your deck, and hopefully sideboarding will be able to fix all that. But then you know pressure's on. You, you got to win the postboard games in order to do that. So right, definitely. Um, yeah, that yeah. makes sense to me. I can see that. Cool. Well, I mean, that's pretty much what I've got for a standard. Uh, hopefully, I get to turn that into some wins. I I definitely feel more nervous about this tournament than other 
GPs that I've played in. I think just because I have other people kind of relying on me here. Um, and I'm just hoping that my calls yeah. are, are good calls there. Yeah, always it's always kind of like the most nerve-wracking to make calls like that when it's not just you. Like, you know, if you've got these, like, calls that you really want to make that you're pretty confident in, but, you know, there's a chance it goes wrong. If, if it's just your own tournament life on the line there, then sure, you know, let's go for it. And then, you know, if I, if I get punished, I get punished. But, yeah, definitely with, with other people there, you know, they're trusting you to, to be able to pull the weight there. But, you know, honestly, uh, it's kind of like that's one of those psychological things that uh, I think might get in the way of people making the right decisions. Like, one thing that I hear a lot of people say is they'll use things like, I, you know, I was up a game anyway, so I was willing to take this other line. But in, you know, in a perfect universe, you're always doing everything you can to make the best decisions, right? But they're using this external thing to, like, influence them and make themselves feel better about it. So in kind of in your scenario, I think that you you you're you're having a read on the metagame, and you you think that your your solution to that read is is pretty powerful, and I think that that alone should be enough to convince you to be able to be like, all right, let's pull the trigger on this, let's do it. It it's scarier because you've got other people counting on you, but you know if you believe that it's the right decision, then you should you should go with that anyways. Yeah, I mean at some point you just got to trust yourself, I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I guess that's my two cents on that thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully that, I mean, that's, that's helpful. That probably gives me enough bravery to pull the trigger on this and maybe just run zero removal spells main deck this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, you know, you know, you can use that to, to hedge a little bit and say, all right, you know, Vraska's Contempt isn't insane. Let's cut it down to maybe just one in the main so we don't get flooded on it or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know, you can still be, be dynamic with it. Yeah. Very um, true. So. Yep. But yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's pretty much all we got for today. Yeah, exciting stuff happening sort of outside of the podcast. So please, you know, if you got a minute, come come check out our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come check out the website at mtggrindcast.com. Um, and you should be able to find kind of all of these things through our website. So that's probably, if you're going to remember just one link, uh, remember just mtggrindcast.com is where you can find all of your... Chris and Collins needs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we've got links to like our, our Twitter and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe we don't even need to announce our Twitter handles anymore. That feels so weird. We've been doing it for so long. <laughs> it's just tradition. I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely want to push the website. I think that's going to just be the easiest way for people to find us, get in contact with us if you want to. You know, always open to, to hearing from everybody. And yeah, if you, if you feel like um, you want to support the show... You can sign up on Patreon. We've got some some rewards there that you can check out, and uh, yeah, you can you can definitely. Uh, and I'm excited for the uh, you know kind of fostering some sort of Discord community there. Excited to see what happens with this Discord channel um, once people start getting access to it through the the Patreon. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be really cool to get some voices coming back towards us instead of just, like, putting our voices out into the void. <laughs> into the void. <laughs> the mysterious <laughs> void. But, yeah. All right, well, I think that covers it, then. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Um, so thanks to everybody so much for listening. Thank you so much if you check us out on, on, on Patreon or on our site. Yeah, good luck this weekend. Good luck with your tournaments and stuff. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.